Welcome to the latest edition of the Fixed Interest Podcast Series. I'm Jan Friedrich, Head of Middle East and Africa Sovereign Ratings. Today I'm joined by Christianus Christens, Director in Fitch Sovereign Team and Lead Analyst for the GCC. So, Chris, how do you see the GCC ratings now that oil prices are back above $50 per barrel? Is the worst behind us, do you think? Well, higher oil prices are always good for the GCC. We estimate that every $10 per barrel change in oil prices will boost fiscal deficits by 4 to 8% of GDP. That said, several countries have fiscal break-even prices well above these levels. For example, Bahrain and Kuwait need prices in the $80 per barrel range for their budgets to be in balance. Saudi Arabia and Oman need prices in the $70 per barrel range. This does mean continued high fiscal deficits for these countries in the double digits for Oman and Kuwait and continued drawdowns of assets and buildup of debt. Which recently affirmed Kuwait at AA, but revised the outlook from stable to negative. Does the outlook revision mean that other high-rated GCC sovereigns could be under pressure? A big part of the reason for the negative outlook on Kuwait is Kuwait-specific, in that it is facing the depletion of Treasury liquidity in its general reserve fund in the absence of parliamentary authorization to borrow or authorization to access the bulk of Kuwait's assets, which are in the Future Generations Fund. This raises the risk of a hard stop to government payments, somewhat akin to the debt ceiling gridlock that has been observed in the United States in the past. We ultimately think that a hard stop to government payments will be avoided, but at the AA rating level, it is a risk that merits a negative outlook in our view. The liquidity issue is rooted in Kuwait's uniquely gridlocked politics and institutions, which have resulted in the slowest reform pace in the GCC in recent years, and which we think will result in a gradual but steady erosion of Kuwait's balance sheet strengths well into the future. Erosion of fiscal and external balance sheets is a negative rating sensitivity in all GCC sovereigns. But uh, Abu Dhabi is the only one alongside Kuwait at the AA rating level. It has lower buffers and a slightly weaker balance sheet, but the rate of depletion is much smaller and it does not uh, suffer from the same institutional paralysis that Kuwait does. So it remains on a stable outlook. Qatar is one notch lower at AA minus, reflecting a weaker balance sheet. And there are certainly concerns in Qatar about the trajectory of its indebtedness and contingent liabilities, which we are closely watching. And Saudi Arabia is, is lower still at A, and, and it is already on a negative outlook. Maybe staying on the Qatar side, um, recently big political news with the end um, of the rift between Qatar and its neighbors. Could ratings benefit from that? For Qatar itself, there is unlikely to be a direct rating impact, partly because it has managed its isolation from its neighbors fairly well. At AA minus stable, its rating is primarily weighed down by the high levels of debt. At the government level, 
and at the broader public sector and economy level, notwithstanding its high levels of wealth and savings in the Qatar Investment Authority. The end of the GCC will certainly help growth in some sectors that were hard hit from the rupture of relations like aviation and real estate, and that may take some pressure off public finances at the margin. But uh, ultimately, any upward movement in the Qatari rating will depend on reducing the high levels of debt, primarily at the government level. This could happen over time as the government winds down its capital spending program, expands gas production, or uses some of the accumulated liquidity over the past few years to pay down debt early. In the rest of the GCC, for Saudi Arabia and uh, the UAE, for example, relations with, with Qatar economically aren't really that significant to make an impact, although Again, there could be some areas that benefit, such as Dubai. Oman may benefit because the ending of the rift within the GCC could make it easier for the GCC to come together and agree on some sort of financial support package. Things have also moved on Oman. Oman has published the medium-term fiscal plan and on several reforms, successfully issued recently. Does all this mean... Oman's finances have turned the corner in your eyes? There is no question that there has been an acceleration in fiscal reform in Oman under Sultan Haytham, but the reform program is still at an early stage and many things will have to go right for the government to stabilize its public finances. Some of the measures that have been explicitly identified in the medium-term plan, such as VAT, income tax and subsidy reform, These are unprecedented in an Omani context, especially when taken in combination. The pressures that held back fiscal consolidation in the past, such as the need to ensure employment for young Omanis and to ensure social stability, these have not gone away. And they could mean slower or more gradual implementation of some of the measures that have been identified. On more technical note, it's worth noting that a lot of the improvements in the deficit this year under the reform program come from moving oil and gas operations to energy development Oman. While this does bring Oman in line with the rest of the GCC in terms of budget presentation, we don't think it represents a fundamental shift in Oman's creditworthiness, particularly when we consider the high levels of government-related entity debt that are already in the system. Similarly, in 2022, there is an assumed big boost in the fiscal projections from a double-digit increase in oil production as production snaps back to capacity and the OPEC plus agreement is assumed to expire. We're not sure this is, this is going to happen. And maybe finally on Saudi Arabia, has, Saudi Arabia has recently announced bold new targets for the public investment fund. How do these play into the rating for Saudi Arabia? There have been announcements that the Public Investment Fund would invest $40 billion per year in the Saudi economy for the next several years, and also that it would target $2 trillion US dollars in assets under management by 2030. In principle, the PIF investing more in the Saudi economy is good for non-oil growth and could also provide a tailwind to the government's efforts to reach fiscal balance. A bigger wealth fund could ultimately also provide a diversified revenue stream to the government in the longer term. However, there is a question of how these investments will be financed. Clearly, there is a lot of liquidity in the PIF at the moment, stemming from the 40 billion transfer of assets from summer reserves. 
last year from the earlier sale of Saudi Aramco shares to the public. And over the next several years, the PIF will also receive installments from Saudi Aramco for the purchase of SABIC. But even so, reaching that 2 trillion assets under management target would require double digit rates of return every year. And if the PIF needs bigger liquidity injections from more liquid parts of the public sector, such as central bank reserves, or if it needs to issue more debt to fund these investments, then there begins to be a question of the overall health of Saudi Arabia's public sector balance sheet. Clearly, government-related entity debt starts from a low level. Reserves are still very high. Government debt levels are only moderate. But over time, through these various channels, these strengths are being eroded. And that's part of the reason that supports the negative outlook on um, Saudi Arabia's A rating. Thanks for your insights, Chris. And thank you all for listening. For more information on our ratings and research on the GCC sovereigns, please visit us at FitchRatings.com. We hope you will join us for the next edition of The Fixed Interests.